All right, back for another show. This one's going to be good. We had, uh, you know, a, a successful realtor on a few weeks ago. Uh, now we got somebody that is an expert on the mortgage and lending side. Um, so it's going to be fun to talk to uh, James Matarazzo. How's it going, James? Great, Andrew. How are you? Good. Did I get that right? You did. You know, Gosh, I've, heard it, I've heard it all. Maserati, so Mozzarella. I, I've heard them all. So you, you did good on your first try. That's awesome. <laughs> I get so damn nervous about names because I am horrible. But no, I thanks thanks for joining me. Um, you know, I try to have a good variety of people on the show that you know can give some insight and just you know talk about number one your journey and and number two you know you know what you're an expert in and you know what I've been seeing right now from my realtor friends is like they're going crazy tons of sales just a lot of movement out there and so it'll be great to talk to you more on that but let's kind of start off with you know walk us through you know your career where you're from and and kind of your journey to get to where you're at now sure i'd be happy to thank you well the the journey in the mortgage industry started in 1988 believe it or not before the internet when you had to walk into people's real estate offices and beg them to take loan applications from the buyers that they showed houses to over the weekend. And things have really changed since then. So um, I really started as a mortgage broker, um, worked for a couple of mortgage companies early in my career, and then transitioned into the banking side on the, on the mortgage side as well. And um, worked for a couple of banks in a management capacity for many years, um, worked on the wholesale side, which means my customers were not the buyers, they were the mortgage brokers. And I would uh, actually have them submit loans to me on the wholesale side. So the banks that I worked with, you probably heard of them, Countrywide Mortgage, which was a bank, Washington Mutual Bank. I actually worked for Great Western Bank back in the day. Um, I worked for MetLife when they did loans as well. So I've worked for mortgage companies throughout my career. I've worked for banks and I've worked for mortgage lenders, and there's a, really a difference between those three in how the loans are really originated, processed, and fulfilled. So um, I've kind of seen it all. I've been through the crash of 2007, 2008 with Countrywide as a regional and had 200 people reporting to me, and all of a sudden that job disappeared when the crash happened. And I kind of had to reinvent myself in the last 12 years or so since then. And now I'm working for a mortgage lender. I'm originating loans. I'm helping first-time home buyers. I'm helping move-up buyers. I'm helping people with their refinances. So it's kind of come full circle. I'm back to what I was doing back in 1988. I'm doing that again here in 2020 and beyond. Can you kind of give us like you said the uh, the the three different areas that you worked and they're all a little different. Can you give us like a quick snapshot of the differences between those three? Just like for someone like me, I you really you know gave me a lot of knowledge from our first conversation, and just a lot of people out there um, might not know exactly the differences. Sure, uh, mortgage brokers um, originate loans, but they don't have the funds to act to actually close the loan with their money. So they are relying on wholesale lenders to actually purchase the loan at the closing table. Um, so there's, there's pros and cons to all three platforms. Uh, the mortgage broker has various wholesale lenders that they can do business with 
and send a loan to to get closed. And depending on the profile of the loan, uh, they could have different interest rates for different loan programs at various wholesale lenders. So they can kind of shop the loan around and they're just not beholden to one lender so they can shop it around. Um, so that's the mortgage broker side. Um, what, with that, you kind of lose a little bit of control of the file. It could take one and a half times to twice as long to close a loan, depending on volume and what the market's doing at that point in time. Um, as a mortgage broker, um, a mortgage banker or a bank, let's, let's call it, you know, your, your large banks, medium sized banks, small banks, um, they can portfolio their loans. So you may have a little bit different guidelines, maybe some easier guidelines, what they call portfolio guidelines to underwrite to, but that bank will originate process underwrite and close that loan with their funds in their name. And a lot of times the banks will service their own loans. Um, and there's pros and cons to that. Um, I work for a mortgage lender, which has access to hundreds of millions of dollars of warehouse capacity to fund our own loans. So I think I have the best of both worlds because I am in total control of my loan from start to finish. We have delegated underwriters to underwrite for all the different loan programs that we have, FHA, VA, conventional, et cetera. Um, so I don't lose control of that loan. Uh, the processor is an employee of my company. The underwriter is the employee of my company. And so is the closer. So I'm in constant communication with them. Our, our, my loans seem to go through the process a lot quicker and smoother, especially in this environment where interest rates are so low. Everybody's very backed up, but I'm still closing loans within a 30 to 45 day period of time. So I'm I find that, that this platform at this part, uh, point in time is most advantageous for me. Yeah. Well, where are you located at now and what areas do you cover? Sure. Um, I'm located in South Florida. I've been in South Florida since 77. I've been in the mortgage industry down here since 88, as I said, all in South Florida, West Fort Lauderdale. I'm in, uh, I live in a town called Plantation, our main headquarters for the company I work for which is Hamilton Home Loans. I'm a DBA of them, First Trust Mortgage Corporation. And I actually work out of the corporate headquarters in Sunrise, Florida. Right by the Florida Panthers, right? Sunrise. Exactly, right across from the Southwest <laughs> Corporate Parkway. That's where we are, yes. Okay, nice, nice. So, I mean, you've been in it since 88, you said. I mean, it's you've got to have seen some major changes over the last you know, 30 years, you know, just from technology to, you know, everything, what would you say has been kind of some of the biggest changes that you've, you've seen over the years? Wow. Um, there's a lot, <laughs> um, where I used to do things on paper. Now it's all electronic, even trying to originate the loans has changed because there's not a lot of real estate agents in an office anymore. They work out of their home. So everybody's remote. So the process has changed dramatically. Guidelines have swung from very liberal before the economic shutdown, so to speak, in 2007, 2008. Um, and then the pendulum swung the opposite way where you had to almost give up your firstborn um, to get a loan because the guidelines really got strict. And then after 2010 to 2012 or so, 
things kind of moved back in the middle and, and it had to, it had to correct itself. Uh, the days of doing a stated income loan, stated asset for somebody um, who has a, a 580 credit score and we're not verifying their income, we're not verifying their assets and we're giving them 80% loan to value on the first mortgage and 20% on the second. So they have no skin in their game. Those days are gone. So, and, it, and they, had to be. They, they, they had to be gone. Right. Yeah. So now things, you know, you, you still have to qualify. The loan still has to make sense. And ultimately when I'm looking at a loan, I have to look into my crystal ball and say, is this borrower going to make their loan payments? Do they have the wherewithal? Do they have the track record? Do they have the history of making payments on time? And are they making enough income to support not only the mortgage payment, but the other monthly debt? So I think those things have been the biggest changes in the industry um, as far as the guidelines, guidelines go. Um, we want to make sure that these people that are buying their first home, for example, are not biting off more than they can chew, so to speak. So we put certain parameters in place, income to debt ratios, credit score requirements. Um, so it's not the Wild West anymore where you fog up a mirror and you get a loan. Um, there's a lot of thought and guidelines that go into it, which is a great thing because we want everybody to succeed. We don't want foreclosures on our hands. That doesn't help the market. That doesn't help the economic uh, environment. So um, guidelines have been very, very um, instrumental in keeping us going forward, uh, especially after the economic downturn. Was it like prior to like, you know, 07, 08, was it pretty much like the wild, wild west, like for years and years? Or was it just like a short period of time that it kind of got out of control and got, you know, it caught up to us? Well, I could tell you the the stated income loan or no income verification loan is what we called it back when I started in the business in 88. But those were really for doctors and self-employed borrowers that had a stack of uh, tax returns this thick. And, you know, the, the underwriting guideline was, well, if they're self-employed and they have a lot of money in the bank and they have skin in the game, at least 20%, if not 25% or 30% down payment, we don't need to see their tax returns. We know that they're making the, the income because we can see through their assets, through their credit, that they're making enough money and, they're making payments on time. That's how the stated income or, or no income verification loan was back in the late 80s. It kind of went off the rails in the 90s going into the 2000s where it wasn't necessarily just for self-employed people. Um, there, were, there were loan programs from lenders out there that if you were a W-2 employee, you could even get a no income verification loan. And that's not really what it was for. Right. So, yes, it, it was like the Wild West at some point in time. It got worse in the mid-2000s, but everybody thought appreciation was going to continue at these record paces and, you know, 20%, 23% year over year. So they figured, ah, what's the problem? We right. can do almost 100% loan-to-value, stated income, stated asset. In a couple of years, they're going to have 80% equity in there, and it's going to be an 80% loan-to-value. So uh, there's many reasons for it and, and many opinions as to why that happened. Um, you know, what, what point, what, what role did um, the, the secondary market play, meaning 
what role did Wall Street play? You know, who was funding these loans? Who was selling these loans? Who's servicing these loans? Um, we've all seen the movies <laughs> on the, on what happened in the economic downturn. So everyone's got their opinion, and but I lived it and I saw it, and I was at Countrywide uh, when it happened and as it was happening, and um, it was just. It, I'm glad it's not going to happen again. I don't think it's going to happen again. And I think we've normalized. So what did you do when that happened? I mean, did you like take a break then from, you know, the mortgage industry or did you, I mean, that's pretty much been your, your career for your life pretty much. Right. So mm -hmm. um, how did you kind of rebound from that and kind of move forward? That's a great question. It was tough, not just on me, but it was tough on everybody in, in just about every industry, but the mortgage industry got hit tremendously hard. And especially for me in South Florida, it got hit hard. Um, ultimately, my career at Countrywide came to an abrupt end at the end of 07, just as this was happening. So my position was eliminated across the board. Um, I couldn't, and I was a regional vice president for Countrywide at the time. And I just figured out, you know, this was in December of 07. I, I figured I would just go get another job in January, take the holidays off. No big deal. Um, I'm sure a, a bank will hire me or, you know, I have a great resume. I've done so much at Countrywide um, in my capacity. I shouldn't have a hard time getting a job. Well, little did I know I couldn't even get a loan officer job at the time. So 2008 was a tough year. Again, not just for me. I'm not looking for pity. I'm just sure. explaining what happened. I couldn't. I my resume was such that I, I was overqualified to be a loan officer and they weren't hiring any middle management or upper management whatsoever. They were laying people off left and right. So I had to reinvent myself and go from a regional vice president to back to a loan officer slash recruiter. I was building branches for retail shops in 08 and going into 09. Um, eventually I went back into the wholesale side and managed a team of account executives in the Southeast, kept trying to build myself back up to that countrywide position again. And it really never came back to fruition for me. So I've done multiple things in the last 12 years since the crash, originating, building branches, managing branches, managing sales, managing operations, retail, wholesale, correspondent. Um, I've done just about everything except ship a loan to uh, an investor. Um, so everything from the production and operations side, I've been in charge of or done. And I've, as I said earlier, I've come full circle and I just, I'm, I'm right now, I'm just originating for myself. I don't have a team of loan officers right now. I'm not managing anybody else but myself right now. And um, I'm in the trenches again for the last year and a half or so. And um, it's while things have changed, it's still the same. We're still, helping, I'm still helping people achieve the American dream of home ownership or putting them in a, a better financial situation with either a lower rate or a lower term or debt consolidation on a refinance. So, I mean, right now, I mean, it's, you're, you're part of the company, but it, it's almost like your own business within that. Correct. Is that kind of Absolutely. how it is structured? Yes. So, yes. So what, how do you go about generating, you know, business? I'm sure there might be some, some leads that come through, but um, you know, how do you, um, keep your pipeline filled and, and continue to build your business. That's been my biggest challenge. And being in the business for 32 years does not mean I have realtor referral partner relationships or insurance 
referral partner relationships or CPAs or real estate attorneys, divorce attorney relationships for that long a period of time because I've been in management for so long. So it's a great question you ask, you know, what am I doing to fill up my pipeline? I do a lot of networking. Now it's all Zoom because of COVID in the last seven months. Um, so I am. it's all about relationships, whether it's with real estate agents, those other uh, different people that I just talked about, real estate attorneys, divorce attorneys, CPAs, financial planners. Um, I want to help their, them with their clients. And if I can help them with a better mortgage program for them, then that's what we're doing uh, or that's what I'm doing with them. So I think that networking and selling myself, selling my experience, um, teaching a lot of realtors, not about mortgages, but how to partner with them and sell. I have a lot of tools that will help them with their listing, uh, with their listings, with their sales, uh, basic sales skills. I've had a lot of sales coaching in my career. I've been a sales coach in my career. I just have to bring value to as many people as I can. So whether that's through networking, through realtor referrals, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, just putting myself out there and partnering with as many people as I can, because I think we all have to help each other. And um, yep. if I can help you from an insurance perspective and refer some of my clients that need homeowners insurance and need um, better coverage and a better quote, then I'm doing them a service. I'm helping you. I'm helping them. I'm helping the real estate agent. Um, I'm helping the seller. There's so many people that are tied to it. Um, repeat business obviously is very important. So yeah. that's how I'm doing it. I don't buy leads. I don't want to buy leads. Um, I just want to put myself out there and just spread the knowledge. And if I can help you and advise you, and that's why you see on the, on the screen, I don't put loan officer on there. I'm a mortgage advisor. And I feel that if I do right by people, they are going to refer me. And by doing right by somebody, it may not be the best time for them to either buy something right now or refinance right now. And I'll tell them, so you're not in that position. I don't want to see you fail. Get this cleared up, save up some more money, lower that back end debt ratio. And then in maybe in three months or six months, then let's put the plan together and start looking for a house with your real estate agent and I'll help you with the mortgage. Yeah. And I mean, you said something in there that it really, I mean, it, it's, it's so true and it involves so many different businesses, but building relationships, like, like true relationships, because, you know, if I send you a referral or you get a referral from buying it, the close ratio for you is going to probably be a lot higher from the referral that I send you than you buying a lead. And, you know, those relationships, I mean, once, you know, you build up trust and, and rapport, um, you know, it's good. I mean, I've, I've already got somebody to send you um, possibly for a refi. So just awesome. from, from our talk the other day. So, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's a small, small world when you really start getting into it. And, you know, with, with you and just like with me and the insurance, I mean, you can cover the entire state. Yeah. which is great. So, it, and with zoom and all the technology, it's how, how often are you face to face anyway? You know, <laughs> and that's true. I think we talked about that yesterday and it, I just was telling somebody else the same thing 
Um, in the beginning, <laughs> before the internet and everything else, I used to meet people and do their loan applications on a piece of paper face to face, whether they came to my office or I went to their office or I even went to their house um, after work and did a loan application face to face. And then since the internet and even before COVID, I find that people, while I'm talking to them over the phone, making the arrangements to take the loan application, I'll say, okay, we could do it one of three ways. We can meet either at my office or at your office, or we could do it over the phone, or I can send you the loan application link and you could do it whenever you want to. And they, 90, 99 times out of a hundred, they say, send me the link. And I say, but I'm going to lend you $400,000. Don't you want to see the person who's going to lend you $400,000? I said, I know I'm ugly, but I'm not that ugly. <laughs> Don't you want to meet me? And they go, no, just send me the link. And I said, okay, I'll send you the link. And and that's about convenience and that's now. Fine. It, it, it's know? very convenient, but I, I like to be. I'm old school, I guess. Right? I, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's time. good to have those that personal connection. It's it's like a you know a double edged sword because I mean to really produce the volume, right? You can't you can't physically you know how many people can you physically go see as opposed to having them do it you know that way. So it's like, you know, kind of, you know, a balancing act, I think. And, um, but I think those relationships are big because, you know, you want to do a good job for them because it's, it's not about one sale, right? right? I, I don't think you're approaching it that way. I mean, it's like, okay, well, hey, at some point they might want to refinance or they might want to, they might want to upgrade or downgrade or, or buy a, you know, a, a, you know, a investment property or vacation home. So, um, you know, it's, it's not about the one sale. It's, it's about building that relationship, even with the, the client. So mm -hmm. how would you say that COVID has really affected your business as far as just, just anything and everything? Um, knock on wood, my industry has not felt the effect from a production standpoint. Um, the interest rates are low. Inventory is low. Values are up. So uh, supply and demand is dictating what's happening in, in, our, in, in my industry right now. <clears throat> With interest, interest rates so low, there's a lot of refinances. Obviously, people are taking advantage of that. And with COVID, um, you know, I think that people are starting to pull out equity. We have record high equity in the homes throughout the United States for people to tap into when something like this happens, if it's advantageous for them, if it makes sense for them to do so. So COVID has, you know, looked, had make people look at their house now and said, you know, my house isn't as bad as I thought it was. Maybe I'm going to pull some money out of it and fix it up a little bit because I'm not going to move. I like the house. I'm going to fix it up. I want to stay where I'm at. Um, I want to move away or I want to move away from, the cities out to the suburbs. I don't want to be in congested areas anymore. A lot of little things, things have really um, helped people make different decisions, and that that they would have wouldn't have made it maybe back in February before COVID really hit. Um, from my office perspective, the office has been closed since March. Everybody's working remotely. I think. People, once we get a better handle of this pandemic and we start to see the light at the end of the tunnel and get back to a little bit of normalcy, I think people are going to look at their big, huge offices and say, you know what? I didn't really need this huge office. Maybe I, I can cut my office in half, have my employees work 
remotely because we have not gone down one iota as far as production goes. Um, the production has been increased and we haven't missed a beat. So we really don't need this nice, big, cushy office space anymore. People, people, I feel, work more from their home and they work more at home than they do if they have to take the time to get dressed, make the commute to their office, get to the coffee pot, talk to the coworkers, then sit down, then work, yeah. take an hour for lunch. I mean, people are working through their lunch. It's not healthy, but I just find that people are working more by working remotely, a lot of that is due to to COVID also. So, not only externally has it has it affected my business, but internally too, company wide. I mean, it, it's it's um, there's not a necessity to go to an office per se all the time. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've noticed it too. Like, just I feel like I can get so much more done in a day now. And, you know, I mean, I try not to have a commute anyway, like when, you know, I try to live close to where my office is. But, um, you know, even if you have a 30 minute commute each way, that's an hour right there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, what I've noticed is, you know, managing, you know, sales forces and just teams of people is when you're in an office environment, there's also wasted time of just BSing around, you know, and it might even be like you know, 30 seconds here, a minute there, just little stuff. Or for me as a leader, being distracted because people constantly are knocking on my office door or, or having questions where, you know, with Zoom, with stuff like like we're recording now, pre-COVID, I never, I was on some Zoom calls, but I never utilized it. Like I never was the host. Now I use Zoom and those features like daily. And I just, I feel like I've been able to be a lot more productive. So, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of companies kind of shrink up that size and give people more flexibility. You know, it, at the end of the day, it, it comes down to production, right? If, mm -hmm. if, if they're not going to produce at home, then it, it won't work. But if they're able to produce equally or better, I, I think a lot of companies are going to be flexible and you you've kind of seen that with with realtors in the last probably five years. I've noticed more and I'm not in that field. So maybe it was longer, but I noticed more and more of them are um, working remotely and you have uh, uh, what's the one realtor EXP maybe or one of mm -hmm. those that is like a virtual. Um, virtual. Yeah. And so it's good and bad. It's it makes it harder to drop in and you know, say hi to people. Right. You know, but um, I think, you know, like you and I, you know, corresponding through email and people through LinkedIn um, and reaching out. That's, that's the thing I've focused on is reaching out and trying to connect with new people. You have five or 10 minutes to jump on a call. Yeah. Tell me more about what you do. And um, because I'll be honest, before we talked, I mean, I've heard about the different areas of, you know, lending and mortgages, but I never really had a clear understanding of it and it, it just, it makes a lot of sense. And um, so it's good. So now I know what you have to offer and in our business, both of our businesses, it's building relationships and you're going to come across people that could use something that I have and vice versa. And so it's always good to really kind of just learn what people can offer. Um, and you're helping people, you're helping that person. Plus you're also helping 
your other connection who who you're connecting with so right um so no it's pretty cool i mean i'm excited to see do you think that they're like as things you know go back to normal do you think you know some of the things that you've done during covid will kind of stick long term just because you know they were more practical for you as well i think so um but prior to covid i think i networked with a group on Tuesday mornings only. And now I'm networking four days a week, multiple times a day through Zoom networking. And I enjoy it. I've mastered it, I think. Um, I'm meeting more people than I have ever met. I would have never met a lot of these people because if they were an hour and a half drive from me, I wasn't going to network up there every week. But if I turn on the computer and it's eight o'clock in the morning, I don't care if it's on an, an hour and a half away or four hours away. It's right. right there on the computer. So I think I'm going to stick with that. Um, I may do some more face to face once everybody's more comfortable with it, including yeah. myself, once we get a handle of, uh, on this. Um, so I think those things will stick. I, I don't think I'm going to lose anything other than my office, which I've already clear, cleared out my office. I don't need to go there anymore. Um, at the corporate headquarters. If I need to meet with clients and use one of the conference rooms, that's easy. I can just reserve it on the computer, meet the clients there, spend the 15 minutes or an hour, whatever it is, and then I'm back out again. Um, As a salesperson, I didn't spend a lot of time in the office anyway because I was out visiting clients or referral partners or doing presentations. I can do so much more of that from the computer with Zoom so I'm embracing it. I, I want to reach out to as many people as possible. So I thank you for allowing me to do this podcast with you. I want to do more of this. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm doing I'm just starting to do first time homebuyer seminars, for example. So instead of trying to find a location and spend a hundred dollars to rent an auditorium and try to fill it up with a hundred people, I just put it on Facebook and say, Hey, you want to come and listen to a first time homebuyer class? Come on in. And that's what we're doing now. And it doesn't cost me anything. And I'm, I'm reaching out to almost as many people anyway, probably more people, depending on who in the class. So I, that part I'm embracing and, and I like it. Well, and, I, and I've really been preaching, you know, I, I mean, I only started my podcast during COVID and, you know, I've really been preaching to people like, man, this is, and, and even in what you're doing, like, you know, creating videos that, you know, are informational that can help people like, you know, from, you know, very beginner all the way up, um, you know, geared towards the the home buyer, geared towards your referral partners. There's, there's people that want to take that information. They, they want to get that. So, I mean, using social media to, you know, build your brand, so to speak. That's kind of what I've been doing is building my brand and, you know, my expertise in my area so that hopefully I'm top of mind when somebody comes up and is like, oh, hey, call Andrew. Mm-hmm. You know, he's all over. Check out his videos. And um, the one the one guy I had on my uh, podcast, he got my newsletter kind of like you did. He said, hey, I, do you have 10 minutes to talk? I, I had some questions. And he wanted to start a radio show. And so, you know, we, you know, I spent, you know, a good, good hour on the phone with them, uh, the first call. And 
you know, he ended up launching his own podcast and now he's got a video series that he, that he goes, puts out on a regular basis. He's selling, you know, multiple houses a week right now. And uh, it's just cool to, cool to see because mm -hmm. before he was going to go do a radio show that he was going to have to pay all this money and it was going to only cover the one little city. Whereas now on the internet, he's able to reach, you know, a broader um, group of people. And, but there's just, people want information. People have more time, it seems like because of COVID. So um, yeah, I think what, what you, you just talked about would be a great thing, um, you know, to offer um, because it's, you know, it's kind of like insurance that, that I'm getting in is there's a million people that you can get your insurance from. So how do I get them to come to me? Right. Hopefully it's because they feel that, you know, um, you know, they're, they're going to be treated, you know, properly. Uh, I'm knowledgeable. Um, but you got to be out there, you know, how, how do they remember the name as opposed to the next guy without, you know, being one of these guys spending, you know, millions of dollars a month on ads, you know? So, right. So yeah. it's, you hit the nail on the head. You're selling you. You're not selling insurance. You're yeah, selling exactly. yourself. I'm selling me. Most of my realtors, honestly, and I, I don't want to say anything bad, but they don't know the name of my company. They know me. Right. Yep. They know me and my phone number. That's all they need to know. Yeah. They don't know what company I work for um, because it's me. I am making sure that that process goes smoothly from start to finish. And they know I have a team of people behind me. They may not know their names and may, they may not know the company that I work for. And it's, we, you mentioned it, branding. We are branding ourselves mm -hmm. as the SMEs, the subject matter experts in our fields. Yep. And that, that's all we can do. And if, if we can be honest with people and we, could t and we advise them, again, that's why I put advisor on there. I'm not a loan officer. I'm not an order taker. Right. Uh, I'm going to give the loan that you want because you're going to have to be the one making the payment, not me. So I want you to be happy with it. I will guide you through the process and together collectively, we will figure out which loan program payment, et cetera, is best for you. And then ultimately it's your decision. I'm just going to help yeah. you get there. I mean, it's, it's like solution or consultative based, you know, selling. I mean, mm -hmm. you're, you're really, you're, you're finding out, you know, what their needs are and, and, uh, you know, going to guide them into the best fit for their specific situation. You know, my situation is going to be different than the next guy. I mean, you know, I'm self-employed. We talked about that yesterday. It's just mm -hmm. some of the challenges for that. Uh, right. But the cool thing is, you know, talking through it, you know, there's good options for just about everybody from, from, from talking to you. And so it kind of gave me hope because I was like, yeah, I'd like to like to end up by, I just uh, moved back to Florida. So I'm renting right now. And, um, you know, want to position myself to, to buy when my lease is up. So, um, you know, it's good to kind of reach out and talk. Um, do you guys like, do you work with, um, you know, investors at all as like, you know, like home investors, like people who just buy homes and, and flip them and things like that, or is it more um, traditional type stuff? There's financing available for that. I don't particularly do that. Um, not that we can't do it. It's just that it's a it's a more arduous program. Um, it's a lengthier program. There's a lot more involved in it. Um, I do have end in, end investors that will buy that loan. 
So it's out there. It may become more prevalent down the road, maybe sometime next year, if hopefully not. But in the event that some foreclosures start to pop up yeah. because of COVID and, and the, you know, the extenuating circumstances that that entails, um, I think those programs are going to be more prevalent and I think they're going to be much more important. Um, but there are investors that are doing the fix and flips. Um, we have rehab loans now if you want to fi fix and hold and live in the property. Right. So we do have those programs. Um, FHA has those programs. Um, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac have rehab loans too. So they're out there. Um, what I focus m mainly on are FHA, VA, conventional jumbo loans, um, just straightforward loans, the ones that have rehab and everything else, there's a lot that goes into it to get a contractor. <laughs> uh, contractors, you know, they're going to want, it's just, it's a, it's a lot to go into. It's a lot of paperwork. A lot. They're out there. It's very, it's labor intensive, but yeah. they're out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you, have you heard anything or, or what are your thoughts? Like, you know, I know like the government had some things where people couldn't be foreclosed during COVID. And I think it just, ended or it's about to do you have you heard any rumblings out there on you know you know are a lot of people giving up on their homes or um, is it pretty steady right now that's a great question because living through what i lived through in 2007 and 2008 when the foreclosures just started almost immediately it felt like yeah we're in a different type time frame now we're not going to hit that bubble um, because there's lack of inventory. So I thought I would see a lot more people in forbearance. And that's what the government was allowing people to skip mortgage payments, put them either at those payments at the back end of the loan um, or just hold them separately and have them make them up in time. I thought I would, I would see more of that. I have seen some of that and people have maybe skipped one or two mortgage payments because COVID and they allow them to. Um, but they've made them up. Now they're current. They're no longer in forbearance and I'm able to refinance them. And that's, that's one thing that I have seen. So I haven't seen a lot of people, um, not miss, not going to forbearance only. And that's it. Um, they did it for a short period of time. I was happy to see that. So it wasn't a long, a long elongated time frame. Yeah. Well, and, and now it sounds like is a, a great time to refinance if you can, because, the rates are so good. I just locked a loan in yesterday, 1.99 on a 15 year fixed under 2%. Like free money. I, exactly. I mean, 15 year fixed. And, um, you know, the APR was probably two and three eighths because it, there was some discount points that had to go into that. Yeah. But still, this is what that, that borrower said. I want to be out of, out of this loan in 15 years. I want the lowest rate possible. Don't care what it costs. I laid it out for them. I told them what their break-even point was going to be. And they said, I'm fine with that. Let's lock that puppy in. So nice. The, like you said, it's almost like free money. Um, on a 15-year fixed, they, they're refinancing from a 30 to a 15-year. They're not pulling any cash out. It's just a straight rate and term refinance. And um, yes, I, I was happy to do that for them. All right. Well, so, so I, I'm kind of looking at your different pendants and stuff in the back. So tell, tell me about this. I, I'm, I'm guessing you're a baseball guy. Have you, did you play baseball or? Yeah. So um, I'm a big baseball fan, as you can see behind me. 
Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I wanted to play shortstop for the Mets. Um, I still want to play shortstop for the Mets. I know it's, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Never too late, man. Never too late. <laughs> I keep telling my kids to build a time machine so we can go back in time and I'll do it all over again. I wanted to be Bud Harrelson ever since I was a kid. Um, so yeah, I'm a big Mets fan. And then when I moved to Florida, I had to unfortunately give up the Mets for a little while and uh, root for a local team, which was the Florida Marlins until they moved to Miami. And then I said, you know what? I can't drive all the way down to Miami. And I didn't like the way things were happening with the Marlins. So I went back to the Mets and I'm stuck with them. I'm sticking with the Mets. So I'm a Mets fan. I'm a Jets fan, but, um, so this it's been is rough. rough. It's, it's been rough. rough for you. <laughs> I know. I'm a glutton for punishment. How, I think it was three and a half when the Jets won the Super Bowl. That's that was it. <laughs> how about hockey and uh, basketball? You you uh, fans of those sports? Yeah, I love the Heat. I I love the Heat even before LeBron James went on there, and even before Dwayne Wade. So I've, I've been a Heat fan since '88, since they. Uh, they came into fruition, and I gave up the Islanders for the Panthers. So the Panthers, I can probably ride a bicycle to go watch their games. They're not too far from me, so I, I root for the Panthers. Nice. I'll tell you what, I was, um, I really liked the way the Heat played this year. Like just like, I don't know, just like the tone about them. Like they just seemed like a hardworking team, you know. Yeah. So it was kind of I, I was rooting for them. Plus yeah. they're home state, so you got to go home sure. state been down to Miami for a few of those games, but mm -hmm. no, that's good. So, well, I mean, maybe one day you can make, you know, shortstop. I mean, <laughs> those days are done. Well, what about you, you? You, you told me you did a little fantasy baseball. Yeah. And did you get to play shortstop? I actually, they put me at third base. I think only I was in my thirties at the time. So I was one of the youngest pl players out there at the fantasy camp. Okay. I was the only one that could make the throw from third base to first base. So they put me there at third base, but it was great. It was awesome. I met a lot of my heroes. I met Bud Harrelson. Uh, so when you meet your idol and you get to spend time with him and I wore number three and when your idol says you did the number proud, man, that, that just nice. made my whole day. That was awesome. So yeah, it was great. A great experience. I'm I'm so glad I did it. A friend of mine, um, he he did that with the with the Cardinals, and he told me like the first day they were like, "Look, guys, I don't want to crush everyone's dreams, <laughs> but you're not going to get signed. So <laughs> let's just have fun. Let's mm -hmm. let's not go out there and you know get hurt. Somebody ended up tearing their Achilles or something. It's like <laughs> it was know, a but, lot of people in the training room. Believe me. <laughs> hamstring elbow at 30, at 30 you're starting to feel like okay my body doesn't recover like it used to <laughs> but you probably were able to get through that no problem but some of those guys that got to the um the spring training fantasy thing i mean it's a wide range i mean you got mm -hmm. some some retired people that'll go out there as well and those are those are cool experiences so it was that's, that's pretty cool mm -hmm. all right last thing back on um, mortgage stuff. Cause I was thinking about this. So, um, is there any assistance for like down payments or help in getting into homes? Cause I know sometimes that becomes, you know, a deal breaker that somebody doesn't have quite enough or, um, whatnot, but they can afford the home and they just don't have the cash. Yeah. Um, prior to COVID I had done three or four pro uh, down payment assistance program loans. 
And each city and each county throughout the state of Florida has their own down payment assistance program. So I would encourage any first time home buyers, if they're thinking of purchasing a property and they know what area, what city or what county at least that they're looking to purchase, just Google down payment assistance program, city of blank, whatever city it is. And you'll see that city's down payment assistance program with their guidelines, with the parameters. And a first time home buyer is somebody that's, that has not owned a home in three years. So you could have owned a home it's five not years. Not even a first time home buyer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's a lot. So that's a good thing. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to be the first time home buyer. Just within three years, you couldn't own a property. And there's some income limitations because they want to give people that really need the down payment assistance. They want to give them the money. And the money is either a grant or it's a second mortgage That's a, that sits behind the first mortgage that I'm going to provide them. So I'll give you an example. If they're looking at a $250,000 property and the city of wherever has a down payment assistance program that can give them $50,000 to use for the down payment, they can use it for the down payment or the closing costs or a combination of both. My first mortgage in this example would be $200,000. They're going to have $50,000 from the city for the down payment assistance program. They would need to come in with about 1% of their own money toward the closing costs, but they are getting a $250,000 property, but the loan amount on it is only $200,000. And they didn't only come in with $2,500? They can, yes. They can come out of pocket with $2,500 in that example. So- but prior to COVID, I was closing those loans and I get those calls all the time. And I check with the cities when I'm talking to a first time home buyer. And unfortunately with COVID, a lot of these cities, because they're, the city halls aren't even open right now. Uh, a lot of them are shut down. They're not doing the, the down payment assistance program. They're, they put it on hold until after the first of the year. There is an eight hour course that the home buyer must go through. And it teaches them about budgeting and what the costs are associated in owning a home. Because a lot of people don't realize you need principal, interest, taxes and insurance, homeowners insurance. What is that? Um, if there's homeowners association fees, what is that? So they teach them all of those things. You take an eight-hour course, you get a, a certificate. And then with that certificate, you come to me and, and we go ahead and and I do the first mortgage. And I work with those cities to, to provide the second the secondary financing or the grant. Now, when you do that, is it a specific type of loan that you end up doing? Or can it be like a variety of um, offerings that you have? Yeah, it, it can be an FHA, a VA, okay. or a conventional loan. Nice. So they don't, the, the, the cities don't really care what the first mortgage is. They have their own guidelines for that, for that $50,000 second mortgage or whatever that amount comes out to be. Um, the first mortgage is on me. I have to make sure the borrowers qualify for that first mortgage. They make sure the borrowers qualify for that grant or that second mortgage. They don't care what program it's on. And you got, and you know, from a lending standpoint, you're looking at, you know, there's equity there. Is that kind of, or that, you know, the, the ratio for the, you know, the value to, to what you're financing with the first mortgage, is that what's helpful? So instead of, you know, you funding two hundred fifty thousand. You're only funding two hundred on a value of over two fifty. Sure, my loan to value is very low, so we're right. not 
I'm not concerned about mortgage insurance at that point because there's more than 20% that's put down. Um, whether it's put down by the borrower or the down payment assistance, the city that gives them the down payment assistance doesn't matter. My loan to value is low. So that's good. Um, How do people even find out about this kind of stuff? I've never heard anything like that. Like, well, I want is it just, call me. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, that's, that's why you need, you know, a mortgage advisor. I mean, mm -hmm. because I wouldn't have known that. I don't yeah. think a lot of people would have. A lot of my real estate agents don't know about it. So I'm, you know, informing them and partnering with them, putting on classes together with my real estate partners. And we're reaching out to renters, for example. Um, and we're, we're saying, look, you don't have to necessarily rent and pay the landlord's mortgage when for the same amount that you're paying for rent, you can maybe buy your first home and there's down payment assistance money available in your area to help you with that transaction. So That's it's just great. a matter I'm of gonna, educating. I'm going to look it up. My daughter, she's 23. You know, she's getting to a point where she wants to uh, look at purchasing something. So it might be a good program for her because, I mean, she's, you know, she's 23. So she doesn't have, you know, a ton of money saved up. But uh, but no, that's great. I mean, that's those are the types of things, though, that, that that's why you have to call a professional, you know, and, uh, you know, walk us through how to do it. But so so tell us how people can can find you and, and reach out to you. Sure. Um, the easiest way is my cell phone. My cell phone hasn't changed in I can't tell you how many years. And I don't have an office phone, so everything's through my cell phone. Uh, my number is 954-648-7848. That's 954-648-7848. Um, that's the best way to, to get a hold of me. If you Google me, I have um, with my name, there's not too many James Matarazzo's in the mortgage industry, so you should be able to find me, especially in Florida. Um, New York, there might be a bunch of James Matarazzo's <laughs> up there, so don't make sure you're in Florida when you're looking me up. Um, yeah, and, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook. Yeah, I'm I'm all over the place. So yeah, no, James. Hey, man, thanks for joining me. It was great chatting with you, and you know, kind of getting to know a little bit more about what you guys do and and kind of your journey along the way. So. Um, you know, I'll definitely be reaching out for, for my mortgage needs. Awesome, Andrew. I appreciate it. Anytime you want me back and if you want me to bring up any additional programs and just kind of spotlight anything like that, I'll be more than happy to help you with that. Yeah, appreciate that. Awesome.